How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bo's Football Final here at KHON2.com. And everywhere you listen to podcasts, I'm your host, Rob DeMello, and joining me, my guy, Spectrum Sports Analyst, former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano. And coach, what a wild roller coaster of a ride it has been for the Rainbow Warriors here in the first two weeks of the 2020 season. Of course, they start the year on the road at Fresno State with an impressive 34-19 victory over the Bulldogs, only to then travel to Laramie this past Friday where they... Got a Sasa delivered to the Muli on that one, 31-7, losing to the Cowboys. And obviously, we're going to get into all the specifics of this game, the individual performances, the unit performances, and look ahead to what's next for this Rainbow Warriors. But first things first, 31-7 loss to Wyoming. Your takeaway, your biggest takeaway in the Cowboys taking away the Paniolo Trophy from the Bows. Well, you know, Rob, there's a saying in coaching that your biggest improvement comes after your first game. Uh, this might have been the biggest regression that I've seen uh, in recent memory for a Hawaii football team. And there's another saying, too, is you have to win the fourth quarter. Hawaii didn't do that. You have to win the turnover battle. Hawaii didn't do that. You have to win uh, the line of scrimmages. I thought Wyoming was more physical on both sides of the ball. Uh, penalties. Hawaii had more penalties. Uh, there was nothing uh, to really take away from this game other than that that was a different football team that we saw at Fresno. And, you know, you and I, had, we, 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 we both had, were so happy with the first week performance. We were so happy with the identity of this football team. And uh, this was perplexing because uh, we, we both expected so much more. Absolutely. As mentioned, a 31-7 loss to the Cowboys of Wyoming in Laramie. And it was a game that, you know, I, I watched the game. Uh, truth be told, it was a Friday night. So I'm at home alone with my three kids. My wife works on Friday night. So it was just me, an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 1-year-old. And there was screaming and there was crying going on during the game. And then wait till I tell you about what, the behavior <laughs> of my kids, right? <laughs> But, you know, for this football team, it's like you had mentioned, it's perplexing in regards to what you saw against Fresno State, physicality, near flawless on offense in regards to the mission and the identity of this team. And then I think anyone that saw Fresno State then play Colorado State on Thursday made you even feel even better about this UH football team because the way that Fresno State out-physicaled Colorado State, the way that Fresno State dominated that game, it made you kind of think to yourself like, whoa, this UH football team just did to Fresno what Fresno just did to Colorado State and getting excitement for the Wyoming game. But then what you saw was an offense that just could not get it going. From the very beginning of the game when the ball slips out of Chevin Cordero's hands, uh, you know, was it a grip issue in regards to being in the cold in Laramie or, or whatever it is that that happened? What did you see that Wyoming was doing that caused that performance from the University of Hawaii offense? Or was it something that the University of Hawaii was doing that didn't allow them to get going? Yeah, and I think what's concerning is finishing with 110 passing yards, the lowest since the loss to Boise State in 2015. And we're so used to passing efficiency we're so used to touchdowns we're so used to 
explosive plays. And when you and you start thinking about there has not been a touchdown now passing wise in two weeks. You start thinking about nine sacks. And we've talked so much about this offensive line being the strength of any unit uh, that we've seen at the University of Hawaii in maybe the last decade or so. And you're talking nine sacks. You're talking about not being physical uh, domination at the line of scrimmage in this second game because we saw some of that in the first game we thought that you know with another week of practice that they'd have better you know in terms of execution in the passing game and we're so used to seeing June Jones Nick, Nick Rolovich we knew that they had concepts from the run and shoot we knew that there was some air raid we knew that there was some run and gun stuff but it seemed like they couldn't get anything really happening in the passing game and, and, and I and I want to make sure that I include the fact that Nick Mardner dropped the deep ball. I want to include the fact that Rico Bussey dropped the deep ball because those were two beautiful throws that could have resulted in points. They definitely would have resulted in momentum and, and changing field position. So it wasn't all on Chevin Cadero. It wasn't all on the offensive line. To me, this was a, a, a performance that when the offense watches this film, they left a lot of things out there. And the most important thing is to identify who they are offensively. Yeah, and going over some of the numbers, Chevin Cordero goes 11 of 26 for 110 yards passing. As you mentioned, the lowest passing output since a loss to Boise State in 2015 when they were held to under 100 yards in that one. He was sacked five times. Uh, you know, in regards to rushing, this is what's interesting to me is that when you really look at this game, the Rainbow Warriors ran the ball effectively. They, they went for uh, over 150 yards once you take away the five sacks, averaging about six yards per carry almost. But with all that being said, it was the, the inability to keep drives going in passing situations that really caused the problem for this football team. And as you mentioned, you had mishaps or miscommunications, I should say, where if a receiver got loose, Chevin Cordero wasn't able to connect with them, either overthrowing or just not being a, a, a ball that was able to be caught by the, the Rainbow Warrior receiver. Then in opportunities that he throws an absolute dime, receivers not able to pull it in. Do, how much of this do you just look at, okay, those are six chunk plays potentially that were left out on the field that would have completely changed the outlook of this game because you figure it was a three-point game until four minutes left in the third quarter the defense kept them in it and we'll talk about the defense in a little bit but is this one of those situations that it was more execution than anything because if you are able to execute a few of those plays the entire face of this game is completely different right yeah, and Rob, I want to um, make this statement that, you know, after the first game, you're never as good as they say you are. And after the second game, you're never as bad either. And you're somewhere in the middle. And you talked about that because if Nick Mardner makes that catch, if Rico Bussey makes that catch, if they get points on the board, they had very few opportunities in the red zone. That's how inefficient they were. And part of that was penalties, which I think some of them administrative, some of them uh, not really malicious but not really what you call smart football, not what you call, you know, a team that was up there together, bonding, taking that next step as an offensive identity. So it was, uh, again, perplexing to the fact that there wasn't better execution. And like you say, there's enough blame to go around for every unit, every person, because nobody in particular, I think, played well. Even Calvin Turner, you know, you knew you were going to see 
more concepts in the Wildcat. You know, I thought that Day-Day Hunter's run was fantastic. I thought it was athletic. I thought it showed his ability to understand, you know, uh, to, to use his athleticism, use his quickness and stuff like that. And then, you know, the Zion Bowens is 47-yard post. That was the first time we saw glimpses of his potential. But where was the speed breakout? Where were the slants to Jared Smart? Where was the consistency in the running game? And, uh, you know, I think when you look at this film and you when you watch the Rainbow Warriors play in New Mexico this week, you're going to see hopefully what we saw in the first week. And that's a lot better what you talked about, execution. Uh, going back to redshirt sophomore quarterback Shevin Cordero with his incredible performance against Fresno State in regards to being the leader of this football team, obviously rushing the football sensational. He was able to to throw the football against the Bulldogs. How much of a concern is it that we are two games in and and see and this is the hard part, too, because it's almost like um, uh, digging too deep because you're looking at a team that is one and one with one awesome performance and one not so awesome performance. But with all that being said, you enter your third game without Shevin Cordero having thrown a touchdown pass. Is that a concern to you at all? And really to go beyond that is not being able to convert down the field on, on big chunk plays. You had the Zion Bowens uh, catch that you talked about that went for over 40 yards, but in a perfect world, that would have been a touchdown, right? He would have thrown it, it leading his receiver into the end zone. Um, so is there any concern that, that you have watching Shevin to this point in the inability to connect downfield on a consistent basis? You know, I had a concern last week, and I didn't mention that, and that's winning on the road and playing well on the road because I thought Shevin was more – when you look at the body of work, he played much better at home. So he, you know – obviously solved that puzzle of playing well on the road against Fresno. Now this is cold weather. This is elevation. There were some other things. This is adversity. You know, Hawaii has never won on the back end of a road, uh, two road games in a row where they stayed on the mainland. You know, when I say ever, I'm talking at least the last 30 years. So there was some adversity. There were some things that were concerning, but I think the touchdown passes, Rob, will come. They'll come in bunches. I don't think you're going to see, you know, Colt Brennan type of things. I'm not even sure you're going to see Cole McDonald type of uh, numbers because you're going to see more rushing touchdowns. And I think that's more of the identity of this team. But I think this offense has left a lot on the field. And I think execution in the second game uh, left a lot to be desired. But I think this is a one-off. I really do. I think when you get back in the confines of Aloha Stadium and they you know the weather will be better hopefully and it doesn't rain and it's not windy you'll see touchdown passes we have enough good receivers we have a really good offensive line and Shipman Kadero can throw the ball down the field I, again I had a headache you talked about crying and screaming in your house and not talking about your two beautiful young children that's what you did that's what I did I didn't sleep well <laughs> I'm sure that the coaches when they watch this game Rob they're going to go like we are so much better than what we did last week, but you're only as good as the last game. That's another axiom. That's another cliche. So they've got to put it out on the field on Saturday night against New Mexico. And it's all about making adjustments in the same way that we adjusted here at Bose Football Final by changing the batteries in your smoke detector, right? <laughs> that was huge. That was huge. <laughs> I think everybody's sleeping better now. <laughs> You know, and uh, let's talk about the defense for this University of Hawaii football team, because obviously, you know, when the final score is 31 to seven on the surface, no one wants to talk about like 
how good the defense played in this one. But really, at the end of the day, this was a football game that could have gotten out of hand real early, especially because of the inability for the Rainbow Warrior offense to control the ball. I mean, at the, at the end of the first quarter, they had the ball for three minutes and had negative eight yards passing but the defense was able to keep them in it. Um, tell us a little bit about what you thought of that effort by that side of the ball to, to make this a ball game. And like I said, three minutes left in the, in the third quarter, the University of Hawaii was still within a possession. Yeah, so um, I, I really thought that Darius Moussao, I mean, 14 tackles to go with 11, 25 in two weeks. We talked about him getting – 100 tackles per year. Well, this is an eight-game season. Hopefully, there'll be a ninth or a tenth game. Um, I was really impressed by his reaction and how he was playing faster than everybody and how aggressive he was in the plays in the backfield. I thought that Cortez Davis, you know, not only that was a schematic thing for me too, because anybody that knows anything about football knows that you're not running a corner blitz if the wide receiver's out wide. So they came to a condensed formation. They recognized the formation. He, they executed the blitz. He caused the sack. He caused the fumble in another play. I thought he played a, a really solid game. Um, you know, blessment to Allah, you know, being hurt in the first half, I think hurt this defense. He came back in the second half. I'm not sure that he played the usual amount of downs. I'm not sure he was 100%. Um, I also thought that, you know, as a whole, they continued to miss tackles. I thought they got out physical. And, you know, the question now remains is when you have a 3-4 team, and I had people texting me and calling me and talking about not covering up the guards and short yardage, what we call a bare front out of that 3-4. I had some people talking about how they're a little bit light at the inside backer position when you normally have bigger inside backers based upon only having three defensive linemen. I think we are, and there was a 60 pound differential from Wyoming's offensive line, which averaged six foot, six inches tall, 315 pounds to our D line, which averages 260 pounds. So there is a concern about having to run blitz. There is a concern about having to fire gaps because if a run does break, it's to the second, if not the third level. Um, you know, losing Eugene Ford, I think he's one of the better players we had. Not having Kai Kanashiro in the first half, I thought that was obviously a concern. I thought Donovan Dalton played well. I thought Ortiz played well. Those guys both had nine and seven tackles, respectively. Um, but there is a concern moving forward. If you had to got a chance to watch the San Diego State game, or if you're watching Boise State, or if you're watching some of these teams in the Mountain West Conference, can Hawaii stop the run? Are we physical enough up front to stop the run without, again, run blitzing? That's going to be a question that's going to remain the whole season. Yeah, and with that being said, is there a situation there where it's almost a give and take, where with the roster that you have, with the the personnel that that you came into speaking of, of Todd Graham and his staff there's a certain way that you need to play defense to make sure that things don't get out of hand with that being said you give up some opportunities for a team like a San Diego State or a Wyoming a team that is bigger I mean how do you balance that because I imagine that if you just try to load the box or you try to get heavy right on, on your defensive personnel there there could be a lot more problems on the back end so how, how do you balance that yeah and that's probably uh the most confusing thing that this staff is going to have to deal with and, and Todd Graham was very candid about saying 
offensively, which we didn't see this past game, but we saw the first game, that offensive line should be fine. That quarterback is, is, is a stud. You know, you have receivers, you have running back. But there is a concern defensively what they were left with, what is, you know, what they recruited, uh, what needs to happen moving forward. We talked about having a great defensive end that can really rush the passer. I think they need, you know, you, if you could find another blessment to Allah or two, um, it would be great. I, 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 it's interesting, Rob, because after the fourth game, when they, the first game, when they had for those four interceptions, two were off tip balls, you know, and when you have tip balls and you make, you know, the tip drill becomes part of your uh, kind of results. I knew that was kind of an anomaly that they're not going to get four interceptions every game. The fact that they had zero takeaways is concerning because that was the identity to me in the past couple of years, the defense did not take away the ball enough. And when I talk about takeaways, I'm talking about caused fumbles. I'm talking about interceptions where you make the play on the ball, not where a receiver, it goes off his face mask and it gets tipped up and you just happen to be in the right place. Uh, and those things will happen as well. But, I, you know, I want to see takeaways that are caused. I want to see interceptions that are made because the defensive back makes a great break on the ball. Um, and that did not happen this game. So there are major concerns with the defense moving forward. Um, but I, again, the offense I think you have to continue to rep this passing game and uh, become more efficient in the passing game because I think the running game will come. But uh, there are concerns. Going over some of the defensive numbers for this University of Hawaii football team, as you mentioned, Darius Muasau, the leading tackler once again for the Bows with 14. He had two tackles for loss. Then you go to Donovan Dalton with nine tackles at the safety position and Quentin Frazier with another uh, with eight tackles uh, coming off of a five-tackle performance in his debut as a Rainbow Warrior. And obviously, the, the, the season goes on. The University of Hawaii is going to return home and, and take on New Mexico at Aloha Stadium. And we will talk a little bit about that one. But before we kind of close the book on this Wyoming loss, when you look at the big picture and you see that the University of Hawaii is off to a one-in-one start after a two-game road trip to start the year after only having four weeks of practice, of a brand new head coach that had to wait six months to hold his first practice because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, hindsight is 2020, obviously. And, and we feel a certain way because we know what happened in that first game. But at the beginning of the year, if I told you the Bows would be one and one, they would split Fresno State and Wyoming entering Aloha Stadium for the first time this season in 2020. What would your thought process be? I mean, wouldn't you take a, a split at that point? Yeah, I would. And it wouldn't be so disconcerting if the fact that they lost the first game, because you mentioned new coaching staff, new philosophies, uh, COVID practices, lack of tackling, lack of contact, lack of meetings, lack of, you know, just a normal football uh, beginning for a new football staff. But the fact that they played so well showed you mm -hmm. that Todd Graham and his staff did a phenomenal job of getting this team up to speed you know, they won the turnover battle. They were less penalized. They were more physical and all those things. And then for them to regress like this, I mean, trust me, as a coach and as a guy that's played in the National Football League and played and coached so many years, these games do happen. And like I said, you hope they are one-offs because this team is so much better than they performed. And, and, I, and I'd be uh, I'd remiss if I didn't say, to me, defensively, 
you you just played a Wyoming team that to me was one dimensional. I didn't think that that kid could beat you throwing the ball down the field. So you had the ability to stack the line of scrimmage and you have good enough corners to go man coverage and go cover one and go eight man boxes and stuff like that. So to be out physical against the team that you knew was a run dominating team, there's nothing more uh, demoralizing than that, Robin. Trust me, nobody likes to get out physical uh, by anybody and that was, to me, a physical beatdown. Again, 31-7. Wyoming beats the University of Hawaii as the Rainbow Warriors fall to 1-1. One one. Wyoming also 1-1 one one because they opened the year with an overtime loss to Nevada. And the interesting thing about 2020, as we talked about time and time again here on Bose Football Final, is that there are no divisions in the MWC. So you start looking at, you know, once a team gets two losses, you're, you're on the bubble in regards to trying to win a conference title with there only being eight games you get the three losses and man, you are looking at an uphill battle of trying to be one of the top two teams in the conference in order to play in that championship game on December 19th. So quickly already two games into the season, you have to feel a little bit of a sense of the university of Hawaii and so many others having their backs against the wall here in this unprecedented 2020 season in the mountain West conference. Well, it's time for us to open the Bose football final mailbox where of course you can always drop a line, by finding me on social media at Rob DeMello on Instagram, at Rob DeMello on Facebook, and at Rob DeMello KHON on Twitter. And uh, our first question comes from Brent on Instagram, who asked this question. And this is very interesting because a lot of people, you know, not necessarily the same question or same comment, but along the lines of a lot of people feeling the same way, where, where Brent asked, Don't you think this is proof? that Hawaii cannot win using a running first offense. They need to go back to the run and shoot. And before I let you answer, Rich, I, I think the, the, the thing that jumps out to me at first is they won at Fresno State. <laughs> so, I mean, first of all, I, I wouldn't say that this is a run first offense. Uh, secondly is, I don't know if a loss to Wyoming proves that you cannot win when you had won the week before, but that's neither here nor there. Rich, your, your thoughts on that question. Well, I, I, I would – Go back to even last year, and I thought that even with uh, Brian Smith as the uh, offensive coordinator, you know, running back coach, associate head coach, whatever, they ran the ball effectively, and they needed that. I think this first game against Fresno proved that a running game can win. I think anytime you get to late November, December, when you're in Boise and when you're in Wyoming and you're at Colorado Springs and you're at some of these Mountain West Conference schools, Colorado State, wherever you're at, you need to run the football. Um, I. I, you know, you, I look back to the many years under, you know, when Bob Wagner was running the triple option with Travis Sims and Michael Carter and all those guys. Of course, you can win running the football. Uh, of course, you win in the National Football League running the football. But I do think that they have to continue to work. In, and it takes time in terms of the passing game and the concepts. Uh, they're going to have to be a, a diverse team because I, if you're talking about just running the football like an Air Force Academy, no, I don't think they have the discipline to be an Air Force or a Navy or something like that where you're running the ball 70, 80, 90% of the time. They're going to have to develop this passing game, and they do have receivers. They do have an offensive line that can pass block even though they have nine sacks. They do have a quarterback that can throw all of the passes that need to be thrown to be a successful passing game. But I think diversity is good, and I think at any level of the football, you have to be physical and you have to run the football. So that question to me doesn't really uh, go well with me. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think too is 
watching that game, I, I don't think it jumped out to me that this is a team that's trying to run the football. I mean, what it looked like was a team that couldn't pass the ball against Wyoming. And for whatever reason, whether it's the cold, the altitude, maybe it's just not their night, right? Because you had drops, you had overthrows, you had balls slipping out of quarterback hands. So, I mean, it, it was one of those things where if you weren't running the football, then it would have been three and out even quicker than, than, than it was. And so, uh, you know, and, and I don't have the numbers in front of me in regards to how many rushing uh, plays there were to passing plays, but it didn't seem overwhelming to me at all. And, and in fact, so looking at it, you know, you take, you take away the five sacks and there were more passing plays than there were running plays in this game. And, and that's with uh, this university of Hawaii football team, obviously having to throw the ball late in the game um, to, to try and stay with uh, try to stay in it. But it was not overwhelming. This wasn't a team to me that said we're a running football team and we're not going to pass the football. They just weren't able to, right? No question. And then when you look at the fact that you have a guy that has Miles Bam Bam Reed has 908 yards coming back from his junior season. You look at a guy like Day Day Hunter who has already proven and Calvin Turner. And then you have a quarterback that has quarterback draw potentials. You have quarterback power potentials. You have quarterback counter potential. You have quarterback option potentials. They're going to have a lot of rushing yards this season because of the personnel. And you got to give credit to Todd Graham and his staff. If you have that type of offensive line that should be more physically dominant and, and you have running backs and a quarterback that can run the ball, of course you're going to be a diversified offense. And I think you, we're going to see better passing as this season progresses. All right. Uh, moving on to our Bose football final mailbox. Question number two, if there was one player, and this comes from Sean on Facebook, if there was one player that you would like to see more of that could help this offense, who would that player be? I'm going to say Jonah Pinocchi. And the reason why is one of the earlier throws that Chevron just clearly overthrew. Jonah Pinocchi looked like he had two strides on the defensive back. That would have been either a touchdown or a huge chunk play. Um, we also know that those two guys have been together since high school we also know that before he, then uh, pop warner pop warner right? yeah. yeah we also know that you know he'll go over the middle and he's a tough kid and he'll block and everything else so as much as i like rico bussy as much as i like jared smart and, and i do like both of those guys and zion bowens made his first real contribution we're still waiting for lincoln victor to emerge in the slot and i think they do have to get more production in the slot but i, I, I think that young man is a football player and i'd like to see him get more time yeah, and Jonah Pinocchio, I mean, that was the most that we've seen of him uh, really in his University of Hawaii career to this point. So uh, maybe on to something there. All right, question number three. And this and this comes from an Instagram handle that I can't read on air. So if you sent this in, you know who you are. I'm sorry, I can't say uh, your name because it, it, I, I think I'd get fired by KHON too. But why is Coach Graham still wearing ASU colored wristbands on his arm? And so I can, uh, do you have an answer for this? Do you? Well, no, but I, I like to expand upon your answer because I, we, we talked about the, the possibility that they're not ASU colors. Oh, okay. So, so this is all I know about it is that Todd Graham wore the red and gold wristbands at all of his stops at Rice, at Tulsa, at Pitt, at Arizona State, and now at the University of Hawaii. And I do know that when he was at Rice, he explained it. Um, as to being uh, identifiable when he's making play calls, his quarterback can see him, his team can see him on the sideline and the red and yellow helps them track him. Um, and, and so then you go back to, and you look at rice, what their colors are, right? They're blue, silver, and white. 
he was wearing a red and gold wristband at that time. So obviously not for the school colors. Now, Tulsa and Arizona State fit into those colors. So I could see it being confusing as to why are you wearing it at the University of Hawaii when you're, the team is green, um, Pitt again, blue and gold. So uh, from what I can gather, um, they, they aren't Arizona State wristbands. I think him coming from Arizona State makes it seem that way, but uh, he's been doing it his entire career from the time that he was with the Rice Owls. So this is not an Arizona State wristband. Yeah, and let me uh, expand upon that because I was a signal caller and uh, I used to have Spencer Smith on one side and Kael Monte on my other side. And those guys were dressed up in, a, in like almost like a white dress shirt just so that they could be on either side of me so that when the defense looks over. Now, it's not the old days and we're not going to the NFL through the helmet where the signal caller just tells the guy who's the control linebacker or the free safety to make the call and echo it throughout the defense. The whole defense is looking over. So they have to immediately recognize who Todd Graham is. So for him to have those on his arms, trust me when I tell you, it's so that those guys can recognize that's Todd Graham. Because when you look over to a sideline and there's 120 guys hypothetically on a home game, 74 on this road game, as well as all the other personnel that's surrounded. There's like 20 coaches, literally, when you talk about defensive quality control assistance and everybody else. So you need to recognize who the signal caller is. So to me, I wouldn't get bent out of shape about that and think that he should have green and black and silver or whatever our colors are, because then he would blend in with everybody else. So let me get this straight. All right. So you had two guys on either side of you wearing white so that your players could identify the white coach calling the plays. Not the white coach <laughs> me in between the white jerseys. And but I'll show you a picture. But, but you're, you're, you're Caucasian. You're, you're a white guy. Hey, we had other white coaches and we had other <laughs> white guys. And when you look over to the sidelines, we all blend in. So we had these two guys, Spencer Smith and Keal Monte. If I ever show you the picture, you're going to, Rob, this is going to be one of your highlights because I know you're like the encyclopedia of Hawaii. And I know you know Spencer Smith. I know you know Keal Monte. Yeah. And those guys were just disguising on the side of me, giving fake signals as <laughs> I was giving the real signal. Love it. Love it. There you go. Well, that, that's our Bose Football Final Mailbox for this week. Be sure to send in your questions or comments every week via social media at Rob DeMello Instagram, at Rob DeMello K-H-O-N on Twitter. And uh, let, let, let's move over to the New Mexico game. That is the home opener for this University of Hawaii football team, 2020 at an empty Aloha Stadium. We got the cardboard cutouts finally. And, and you know, and that's one thing that's a big bummer because the University of Hawaii announced the cardboard cutout program. People could start going to the website, 50 bucks to get a cardboard cutout to be put at Aloha Stadium for the entire season. At the end of the year, you get the cardboard cutout back to take home. But they put it out on a Friday before the Wyoming game and all this excitement of UH football coming off of a big win against Fresno. It's just a big bummer that just a couple of hours later, they lose 31 to 7. I have to imagine that that was a bit of a blow to people jumping on the website wanting to get cardboard cutouts. But if you want to go get a cardboard cutout, you can go do it. HawaiiAthletics.com. KHON2 website also has a link. But with all that being said, the New Mexico Lobos come to town this Saturday, longtime conference rival. They're coming off of a loss to open their season to San Jose State. And when you look at the COVID-19 pandemic and struggles and, and having to uh, go through adversity before any games are played, New Mexico left Albuquerque. They were supposed to play that game in New Mexico. 
And they instead play the game at San Jose State. They stay on the road. They're going to go to Vegas and they're going to camp out in Vegas. That's going to be their home base now. It's going to be the University of New Mexico of Las Vegas. And but then now they got to come to the University of Hawaii. So uh, just tell me your your thoughts on this Lobo team coming here to Halava to face the Bows. First of all, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that my entrepreneur skills, as well as my marketing skills, if you remember listening to the broadcast when we did the Fresno game, I'm the one who pointed out the cardboard cutouts were for fundraising and what a great marketing idea. And then all of a sudden, Hawaii has it Friday before the you know Wyoming game. So <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to get any credit for that, Rob, but when you see my big picture in the stands, I'm throwing down $50. So there's a Rich Miano cutout at Aloha Stadium. Love now, it. moving on to hey, the new you know what? Up. You know what you should do? You should buy three of them and put a Smith uh, or a Spencer Smith, Spencer Smith, Spencer Smith, and Kale Monte right on either side me, of you. Yes. But then you know what will happen is Sienna, my daughter, and my son Kupa, and my wife will be mad that I didn't include them in the family picture. Right. <laughs> so moving on to the New Mexico. I think, you know, this is a tremendous story, you know, and when you, when they played Fresno, who handles COVID better? Fresno had all kinds of difficulties with the first team meeting being on September 25th, not having the off season, you know, Hawaii has their share of uh, issues with a new coaching staff and all the COVID lockdowns we've had here in the state of Hawaii and at the university of Hawaii. But when you start talking about New Mexico, the fact that they're going to have to like have their camp in Las Vegas, the fact that those guys aren't even home with their loved ones and their family members and, and whatever else, and they have to practice at a different facility. Uh, you know, uh, this is a, uh, a definite advantage for the University of Hawaii. Uh, obviously, it's a long way to travel to get here to, for any uh, team that, you know, the opposition, so to speak. So, I, I, you know, this is a year where we're always going to have an asterisk who handled COVID better. And obviously the answer to that in week one, Hawaii. In week two, Wyoming. In week three remains to be seen. But the team with the more adversity has to be the New Mexico Lobos coming into that game. And when you look at the Lobos, this is a team that obviously the University of Hawaii very familiar with uh, since rejoining the Mountain West Conference. They got a quarterback, Tevaka Tuioti, who is the leader of this football team. Very dynamic player. And I think it's one of those situations where New Mexico just is not where they want to be yet at this point. But once they get there, I imagine that quarterback's going to have a lot to do with it. Yeah, and when you look at the San Jose State game, you know, that game was tied up late into the third quarter, early fourth quarter, and then San Jose State came away with that victory. But uh, watching Tuyoti last year, I remember even in warm-ups and talking to the coaching staff, and now they have Rocky Long on that staff as well, who's going to be in charge of that defense. And we, we know what a great defensive coordinator he is. Um, I, I think that the maturation process in Tuyoti in terms of the accuracy, the mechanics, throwing the football, because he's a lot to handle on the perimeter. And they do some triple option stuff with him. They do some RPOs. Uh, let's put it this way. There's no bye weeks for the University of Hawaii this week. They're going to have to play at a level at least as good as they played the Fresno State game, and they cannot regress and have the same type of uh, problems they had this past week in Wyoming if they expect to be 2-1 and one on Saturday evening. All right, Rich, what do you want to see out of this Rainbow Warrior football team? Obviously, in order to get a win, you got to play well, especially against a team that, that has um, – uh, as much coaching pedigree as New Mexico does. 
But with that being said, in specific, what, what are you really looking for in this game? What do you want to see out of the Rainbow Warriors in their growth here three games in? I'm going to talk about offensive identity because I, I think that they need to show that they can throw the ball down the field successfully so that they that will open up the running game. You know, when you talk a run and shoot, run is first. When you talk air raid or, or run and gun, the run is first again. I'm not saying the run has to be first, but I think if they have success throwing the ball down the field where they require the defense to uh, have a too high safety look, that lightens the box so that they can run the football. And I think, you know, with the amount of talent they have on the offensive line, with the amount of talent they have in the backfield, in the fact that Chevin Cordero, Wyoming did a great job of containing him, staying in their lanes, being disciplined, but there's no way to hold this guy down from hurting you both throwing and running. So I just want to see an offensive identity. I think the defense will make plays and, and, and they play aggressive. They play with passion, but we need to see who this offense really is. And uh, right now I'm not sure they know who they are. Well, the University of Hawaii will have a chance to show who they are this Saturday against the New Mexico Lobos. Again, that game is at Aloha Stadium. No fans are allowed at the game. Kickoff set for 6.05, and you can see it on Spectrum Sports, where Rich will be calling the game with Robert Kikaula. I'll be doing the pregame, halftime, and postgame with our guys, Kavika Hallams, RJ Hollis, and Nady Lawa. And as always, be sure to subscribe to Bose Football Final wherever you download your podcast. Sign up for push alerts at KHON2.com and the KHON2 mobile app to be told when the new episodes of Bo's Football Final is posted. But it is every Monday here during the University of Hawaii football seasons. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for doing the service of making sure your your uh, smoke detector is all good to go, my man. <laughs> well, I have one last request for you, bro. What's you got to call the University of Hawaii Athletic Department and request that you... Tina and the kids can have cardboard cutouts where you used to watch the game as a little kid. So they'll be way up in like the old <laughs> sections all by yourself. And that to me, we'll, we'll get that on Spectrum. We'll, we'll definitely televise that. That is section MM red, row two, seats one and two. That, that's my, my pops and I. That's where we watched all that's the That's where the genius football. started from. That, that's, that's where it where started. The started <laughs> hey for rich miano i'm rob demello thank you everybody for joining us here on bo's football final we will catch you next time on khun2.com and everywhere you download podcasts see you next week aloha